Yeah, so thank you so much. I was thinking about it this week as I read Isaiah 50, and I found myself, you know, kind of reflecting on the, the character of Jesus, who Jesus is. And one of the things that came to mind immediately is that Jesus was a, a listener. Like, the more I, I see of Jesus, the more I learn about Jesus, is that he was one of those people who listened well. And you've all know, known these kind of people, right? Everybody's capable of listening, but not everybody's very good at it. And there are some people you recognize listen well. They listen better than others. I think Jesus was one of those people. And there are a number of reasons, right? We know that Jesus said a lot, obviously, right? Sermons, parables, blessings, woes, right? There's a long list of things Jesus said, but for as often as Jesus said something, spoke something, answered a question, even more often Jesus was asking questions. Jesus was letting someone else speak. He listened really well. This is who Jesus was. And it wasn't just about, I think a lot of times we might say, well, Jesus tends to answer people's questions with questions, right? It can feel a little bit like maybe Jesus is just avoiding difficult questions, right? A lot of times people are trying to trap him with a particular question. Maybe Jesus is just trying to avoid the difficult questions. But that's not it. Jesus isn't just dodging difficult questions. Jesus is in some sense, trying to shepherd people toward an answer they already know. He's entering into their story, trying to understand where the question comes from in the first place, who they are. He comes to understand them in a different way because Jesus is a, a listener, right? That's what he does. Uh, I, I think a lot about it in, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it starts pretty early in Luke's Gospel where you're seeing Jesus do this. Luke 2, he's a 12-year-old boy, and his parents have lost him. They don't know where Jesus is. They've been in Jerusalem, and they're frantic. They don't know what to do. They turn around, they go back to Jerusalem, the last place they saw him, and they're looking for him. And they finally found him in the temple. We know this story well, right? 12-year-old Jesus is sitting there in the temple, and Luke tells us he's with the experts of the law, right? Studied, learned men who know the law inside out, who spent their lives learning this. And Jesus, Luke says, is listening to them and he's asking questions. Now, if you read just a few verses later, you read in that same story, you'll see that the things Jesus was saying to them, the questions he was asking amazed them, right? Jesus was saying amazing things, Luke tells us, but first, he was listening. This is who Jesus was. Even as a 12-year-old boy, he was humble enough to ask someone else what they thought, to see what they might have to teach him, right? This is who Jesus was. He listens to these people. Luke 10, we all know because of the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Before Jesus speaks the parable of the Good Samaritan, there's this encounter he has, right? What brings about that parable is a conversation with a man, a lawyer, a lot of translations say. He was an expert in the law, right? He approaches Jesus and he asks a question. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we know from the background, Luke tells us, the man's trying to trap Jesus with this question. He's trying to get Jesus to say something that he can use against him, that would kind of undermine his whole ministry. They do this frequently, we read. And Jesus, when he hears the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He doesn't just answer immediately with the parable. First, he says, well, what does the law say? 
How do you understand it, he says. It's as if Jesus is, is saying, we should be asking you, right? He's allowing this man to speak from his expertise, to speak from his experience. It's as if he's saying, like, I'd love to hear your thoughts. He's not just dodging his difficult question. And what we learn is that the man engages with him. He came there to trap Jesus, and he engages with Jesus at a much deeper level because Jesus just listens to him. The man's answers are actually pretty good, and Jesus begins to, from that place, another question. He says, well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? And that's where the, the parable comes from. But Jesus listens first, right? Then I think about Luke 24. Jesus is, is walking along the road, the resurrected, alive Jesus, and he comes along two disciples who don't know that he's resurrected or that that's him walking alongside them, right? And what we know is that Jesus is just listening to them. He listens in on their conversation. He hears what they're talking about, about his death recently and about the implications of his death for what they thought was going to happen with the kingdom of God, right? Jesus just listens. And then he approaches with a simple question. He says, what are you talking about? Jesus knows what they're talking about. Like, what are you guys talking about as, as you walk along? Jesus is letting them express their grief. He's letting them express their, their hurt, their confusion about what all is going on. Before he points out how wrong they are about all of this, before he tells them, you misunderstood some things, it's me, right? This was always supposed to happen this way. Before he goes there, he lets them speak. He's a listener, right? And I think what we learn, if you read any of the Gospels, you'll see this. This ability to listen well, I think it comes so much from something Jesus had cultivated for a long time in his life. We know as well that Jesus would do this thing where he just kind of slipped away. The crowds would get bigger and bigger and bigger. He'd finish speaking, and he'd just slip away. He'd go and he'd pray. He'd go to be with his father. Early in the morning, he'd get up, and he'd just he'd slip away. Before the disciples were awake, he, he would go. And we know that sometimes he'd spend hours in prayer. And it's safe to say Jesus wasn't talking the whole time, right? Jesus was listening, right? He says it outright. In, in John 12, he makes this statement. He says, uh, whatever I say is just what the Father has given me to say. Jesus is acknowledging, like, whatever you're hearing from me, trust me. I wouldn't say it if I didn't think God was telling me I ought to say it. Jesus is listening to the Father always. This is who he is. And so when he begins to engage with people in these moments, it just comes naturally to him. That's the thing we have to learn, right? If we don't know how to listen to God, we're not very good at listening to other people, and vice versa, right? We're terrible listeners to our friends, to our family. If we're always disengaged with them. Chances are we might not be very good at listening to God, right? Jesus learns this. And it's as if, as Jesus is sitting and, and listening to the needs, the questions, the opinions of these people that come to him, it's like even as he's listening to them, he's listening as well to the Father, trying to sort through what exactly he's supposed to say, how he's supposed to approach this question, this person and their needs and their circumstances, right? He's always listening, right? And I think that's part of the reason why people come to Jesus sometimes with ill intentions, right? People that hate Jesus come to him with these questions, and Jesus doesn't condemn first. He doesn't point out what's wrong with them, that he knows what's going on internally. He tends to listen first. Jesus listens before he judges. He, he, he listens before he condemns or points something out. 
how wrong they are, what's really going on internally. He listens, right? And I think it's that listening that, that's so central to Isaiah 50. I was trying to, to like pin it down, like what is so central to who the, the suffering servant is. In Isaiah 50, it's this listening. He wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed, our passage says. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears, he says. Now, if you read the rest of Isaiah, like leading up to all of this, what you know is that Isaiah has been accusing the people, God has been accusing the people of not listening. They do not listen well. They are stubborn. They refuse to listen. And so when you get to chapter 42, there's this new figure who comes into the story, right? The servant, who we call the, the suffering servant, right? It's the beginning of all of these images that will happen in the next number of chapters. And this servant is different. Here's what, what God says. Hear, you deaf. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. Your ears are open, but you don't listen, right? But the servant that we're seeing, the servant listens. The servant does actually pay attention to what it is God is saying, right? Seemingly, the servant has nothing to offer except, except that which God has, has given him, right? Except what he hears, what he hears is what he has to offer Israel, okay? He is listening and he's going to offer what he's hearing to them. And what Isaiah says, he hears. The servant hears from God a word for the weary. He instructs me, he's given me a word for the weary. And the implication in all of this is, if you're weary, you should listen. Because if you're not listening... You're never going to hear this word of rest that God is speaking over the weary. You'll miss it if you're not listening. You have to, to listen to what's being said, right? Just like the servant listens to God, listen to him. Listen to this word he has for the weary. That's what he's getting at. Pay attention to him. Pay attention to what he says. Pay attention to what he's about to do. Just listen. Don't become deaf to him. You'll never hear this word for the weary unless you're listening, right? In this word, there's, there's rest, there's comfort, there's peace, there's life for God's people in listening to his word. His word to his people is so significant, right? So just listen, right? But we all know that is a much easier said than done sort of reality, listening, we all wrestle with it. We all struggle with it at some level. I, I feel like that line from chapter 42, it really gets at the reality of our condition. Your ears are open. Your ears are actually open, but you don't listen. Like, it's not that our ears aren't open. It's not that we're not listening to anything. It's that we're listening to everything. We're listening to everything all the time, right? And yet we don't actually listen. There is so much input. Our ears are open to everything that's coming in all the time. There are so many different things that we are listening to at any given point in our lives that it becomes really difficult to actually hear God's voice above all the other noise. And sometimes it's really good noise. 
It all makes sense when we start listening to it, and then it all piles up, and we can't hear anything else above the din of it all. It's hard to hear his voice. We listen to so much, so much of the news, right? So much of, of Twitter, so many different, you know, social media influencers, so many life coaches, so many celebrities, so many entertainers, so many authors. In the church, I mean, honestly, so many preachers. Like, we live in an age where you can listen to everybody all the time. Why should I just listen to my preacher? I can listen to their preacher and their pastor and, and this person. Like, all the time, there's so many different voices coming in. And the irony is, though we're listening to so much, in all of this listening, we somehow become deaf to God. Like, his voice is lost in all of it. Even in all the good voices, sometimes we can lose the ability to actually hear what it is God is doing. We lose touch with his conviction. We, at this point in our history, have more access to information, more access to expertise in any particular area you would want to know about than ever in history, right? And so we always find ourselves consuming more and more. Why would I not? Information is good. I need more. Input is good. I can learn from other people. This is good. And still, though we are listening to so much, still we know so little. And still we are deaf. This is what Isaiah is getting at. Like at some point in our society, we came to the conclusion that information is the solution to the human condition. How do we fix humanity? How do we fix what's wrong with the world? Information. And that's true. Like, we all recognize that's true, right? This is not an anti-intellectual message. I'm not telling you that, that you shouldn't read books or that you should only read the Bible. I'm not telling you should only listen to Christian music. That's not where this is going. Obviously, obviously you guys know that's not us. But there's this thing that happens, right? We recognize education is good. We recognize the value that education brings it could change whole societies. It can change a person's life condition, their circumstances, right? We recognize that. Even this, to an extent, is informational, right? You might point that out. A sermon is informational to an extent, but I hope you all understand. The point of what I'm doing is not the dissemination of, of information. The idea is not to give you some godly facts that you can walk away with, that you can kind of like keep in your pocket for the rest of the week. No, that's not the point. There's something more than information we need. But we have come to conclude, right, that the more information, the better information, all the information, that's, that's what we need. Give me more of it all the time, right? Society just needs better information, more information. But we all know information can't actually change anyone. We all know this because we've tried to do it. You have someone you disagree with, and so what do you do? You put together the facts, you put together the information, you put it on the table, and you're like, well, what about this? And nothing changes. And what about this? And nothing changes. Maybe they'll think differently about it. Maybe they'll walk away and consider it. You're not going to change them with information alone. We know that. Information alone can't necessarily change someone. It would be much simpler if it could. Obviously, we'd stop wars, and, and we'd probably be able to rid our country of, of all the tension that exists at this level right now, right? 
We know that information can't change anyone, but that doesn't stop us from trying. Again and again, we will try to do this. We try to change ourselves with information. We want to change other people. And I think at some level, our society is just in love with that Renaissance ideal, right? The ideal of the polymath, what we normally call the, the, the Renaissance man, the Renaissance woman. A person who seemingly knows something about everything, right? Who doesn't want to be that person? I dabble in everything. I know a little bit about absolutely everything. I'm an expert at everything. I got to be honest. My whole life, I've always been kind of like drawn to that. We want to be well-rounded, right? I've always been that person. Um, at any given moment in my life, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father, right? Of course, thing. there's nothing wrong with that. But the way I go about it so often, right? I want to be a better husband and father. Well, learn about that, right? What it looks to be a, a, a better husband, a, a better father means I need to listen to other people who've done it. I need to, to, to read this book. I need to pay attention to what this person's saying. All the time, I'm, I'm listening to voices, right? So that I can become a better husband and a better father, right? All the input is coming in, right? At the same time, I want to be a, a better musician, I love music. When people ask me what my hobby is, what do I do with my time? I'm like, I just like music. Sometimes just listening to it for hours on end, I, I just, I would like to do that. Uh, I, I want to be better at, at that. I, I just, I do, right? And so I'm, I'm always trying to, to sort through that, right? I want to be a better preacher. I want to be a better pastor. Um, sorry if you guys didn't realize that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm working. I want to be better at this, okay? Like it may not seem like there's any improvement made very often, but that's what we desperately want, right? And so we're taking all of this input, right? All these different voices are shaping us. We're looking to all of these different people with all this different information all the time. I'm 36 years old. I still would like to be more athletic. Why would it matter at this point in my life beyond chasing my children and teaching them how to do it better than me, right? Why would it matter? Yet still I want it. I'd like to be a polyglot. I'd like to be able to speak multiple languages fluently. I'm fascinated with language. I want to do all these things. I want to know everything. What I realize is, the joke in all of this is, what I really want, what I'm really after, and what so many of us are after, we all want to be the most interesting man in the world. We want the commercial. And then there's this reminder. It's a caricature. It's a joke. You can't know something about everything. You can't listen to every voice. You can't take in all the information and suddenly just be what you've desired to be. Jesus says it so much, so much better than me. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, he just says really simply, you cannot serve two masters. He's talking about money. Remember, he says you can't serve both God and mammon or, or money, right? You cannot serve two masters, but I think it, it applies to all of this. You cannot serve two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other. Or you'll despise the one while you love the other. You can't do it, right? And he could just as easily have said, in the words of Isaiah, you cannot listen to two different masters. You will either listen to the one and become deaf to the other, or you'll be deaf to the one while you listen to the other. You can't do it. You can't listen to every voice. You can't give yourself to every mentor, to every pastor, to every discipler, right? You cannot listen to everyone all the time. Because at some point, you'll become deaf to the one voice that could actually change you. 
You'll become deaf to the one voice that's actually capable of transforming you, of forming you into the person that God actually made you to be. You'll become deaf to it. That's the reality of what Isaiah is saying, and it's what's happened to God's people. We are listening to so much. We are consuming so much all the time, and it's as if Isaiah is saying, aren't you weary? Aren't you weary of it? There's this word that God is, is speaking for the weary. Aren't you weary of doing the same thing, of, of listening to Jesus like he's just one voice in the crowd? Aren't you weary of all the input, right? There are so many different voices saying so many different things, so many conflicting truths and facts and opinions, all telling you what you should think, what you should be. Aren't you weary of it? Because they all leave you disturbed, all the input is constantly coming in, and you find yourself disturbed on the one hand because these people are constantly pointing out what's wrong with the world, with humanity, how it's just seemingly getting worse, and they never seem to have any sort of hope or solution or new approach that could maybe at least affect it somewhat. No, they have nothing, right? It's exhausting, right? And then it's disturbing and exhausting on the other end because you have all these people who point out all that's wrong with the world and they're constantly giving you another solution, another way to have more happy and more fulfilled and more satisfying life, a utopia that doesn't actually ever pan out, a solution that never actually works. It's exhausting. Aren't you weary of it? Aren't you tired of the whole thing? Listening to people who can't live up to their promises, listening to people who just make you more and more cynical. Aren't you tired of the way these voices kind of shape us? Aren't you weary of the whole thing? Trying to interpret all the information that's coming in, right? All these different voices, all these opinions, right? And from all of that, trying to construct what you believe is the truth, what you believe is good, what you believe is valuable what you believe your life should look like, trying to interpret what you identify with the most, trying to identify in all of this that you're hearing who you are, what your identity is tied to the most, right? Aren't you weary of all of this? It's like Isaiah is saying, aren't you sick to death of doing this, of trying to heal yourself with something that's not medicine, Aren't you sick to death of, of trying to piece yourself together, who you are, who you think you're supposed to be, from all these different opinions and all these different voices? Aren't you weary of it? Listen, he says. Aren't you tired of all the opinions, all the equations for satisfaction and fulfillment that they say really will actually work if you put it into practice? And yet time after time, you find yourself longing for something more. Aren't you weary? Just listen, Isaiah says. A few chapters later, it's Isaiah 55. I think he gets it right. He says, come all you who are thirsty. You know this. Come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why should you spend your money on what is not bread? Why should you labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, Isaiah says. The word from God is listen, 
that you may live. Why? Why would you listen to everything else? Why would you look to something else for, for answers, for satisfaction, for meaning, for identity? Listen that you may live. And this was so important for Israel. Like, this was their identity. This is who they were, okay? This word, listen, hear, very often it's translated even as obey, right? The idea is you don't just hear something, right? You listen and respond to it. You heed this voice you're hearing, right? Shema in Hebrew. You all know it well. You've probably heard it from, from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is our only God. Listen. This is who they were, right? But I always think of that story when, when Eli uh, has, has just taken this little boy Samuel into the tabernacle, right? Samuel has just come to live with him. And there's this really uncomfortable experience for Samuel one night. As just a little boy, he starts hearing a voice calling his name. And like every other little boy, he's a, he's a little freaked out by the whole thing. He thinks to himself, well, I mean, I guess it could be, could be Eli that's calling me. I, I'll just go and ask him what he needs. He goes to Eli, and it doesn't make anything better because Eli's like, I didn't say your name. And Samuel's like, oh, geez. Like, 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 well, then who is calling my name? It's just me and you, guy. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? And this happens a couple more times, right? <laughs> and eventually, Eli realizes what's happening. The priest realizes what's happening. God is speaking to him, right? But Samuel doesn't know. He's never heard God's voice before. He's confused by the whole thing. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Go back and lay down, and if you hear the voice again, I want you to say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, your servant is listening. That's what Isaiah is pressing upon them. Israel was always supposed to be a listening servant, a servant who would heed the word that God was speaking to them. Listen, he says, over and over again. Israel was never that servant. It never really panned out. Just like us, Israel struggled to hear his voice. Israel struggled to put all the pieces together. They were never the servant that he desired for them to be, right? And that's why in Isaiah 42, this new figure comes into the story, right? A servant who does listen. A servant who does heed the word that's being spoken to him, right? The suffering servant. A new servant. Obedient. A listening servant. And what Isaiah is kind of pointing out is that if we listened as the servant does, we would hear the same thing that the servant is hearing, that we are to be a people marked by justice and mercy and peace. We would hear that God is calling his people to be a light to the nations, that they might make known who he is to those who don't know him, right? That's what they're supposed to be. Hear that word Isaiah is saying. But again, the reminder of the whole book of Isaiah is that that never really panned out for Israel. It never really worked. They were supposed to be a light, and they never were. They were supposed to be just and merciful and peaceful, and they weren't always. But the servant, this new servant, he's unique. He's different. He will be a light to the nations, right? He will establish justice. But the way he does it is, is not what they might have expected, right? You've known people who were just, like they had this strong sense of justice. But those people aren't necessarily the most gentle, right? They're forceful. You've known people who are incredibly gentle, 
peaceful, kind, and merciful, but they're not necessarily the best at speaking up when something terrible is happening next to them, right? We see these people very often, but we don't often see somebody who knows how to be gentle and just. The servant is gently just. He's accomplishing what God had intended for his people in a way they could never have foreseen. They thought it would be forceful, right? Powerful. A show of force, and instead, what they got is gentleness. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Not what they were looking for, right? Isaiah 42. The servant will save Israel, just not in the way they thought. Not in the way they might have been expecting. It's just like Jonathan was saying last week. From Isaiah 43, God is doing a new thing. Behold, I'm doing something new. It's not what you expected. It's not what you might have foreseen. Isaiah tells us this servant, he listens, even when it costs him everything. He listens, he pays attention, he's obedient, even when people beat him. And you guys heard the imagery from Mia's reading. They rip out his beard. And obviously, like, we think of that, like, like how terribly painful that must be. But I don't know that we, we ever really allow ourselves to confront the humiliation and the shame attached to all of that. A Jewish man, like, his beard, I wouldn't say it's his glory, but it's certainly connected to his character as a man. Every Jewish man grew a beard. Even those who had, like, scraggly-looking, poorly grown-in beards, they grew one. To have it ripped out of his face. Like for the servant, this is a deep kind of humiliation and shame, right? It's one thing to be obedient in the face of pain. But I think we all know it's, it's also really painful at a spiritual and emotional, internal kind of level to be humiliated and shamed. Maybe it's worse at some level, right? This is what the servant ex experiences, right? And yet, he says, he endures it. Even the mocking, even the spitting, right? Because, Isaiah says, he knows he will be vindicated. He will not be put to shame. Why? Because the Lord is his helper. This gives him this deep kind of confidence. He's obedient, right? As Isaiah says something that's, that's really beautiful. It's this interesting phrase. He says that the servant sets his face like flint. You only hear that phrase one time, by the way, in the Old Testament. You hear about flint over and over again for a number of different reasons, right? It's this substance, a rock that is incredibly hard, the hardest of rocks, almost indestructible, right? And so they use it for all kinds of different purposes. They use it to start fires. We still use it to, to start fires, right? Like we know this. It's this incredibly hard rock. And so when he says that the servant sets his face like flint, he's saying his face is hardened in the face of of the suffering and the pain. His face is unmoved. He is unwavering in the face of what he's experiencing. He sets his face like flint. This is how obedient he is, right? And so back to, go back with me to Luke, okay? We were talking about Luke earlier. If you're reading the Gospel of Luke, you get to chapter 9. There's this verse. Luke 9, verse 51. Luke tells us there was a point in Jesus' ministry where he says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. 
he, he decided he had to go toward Jerusalem. Nothing was going to keep him from going to Jerusalem, to, toward the cross, ultimately, right? But if you read it in Greek, Luke is saying literally, Jesus, he didn't say he resolutely set out. He says in Greek, he set his face on Jerusalem. He's borrowing from Isaiah. He's using this old Hebrew phrase that Jesus set his face like flint. He was unwavering as he moved toward the cross. Luke is saying, Jesus is that servant. Jesus is the one. Jesus of Nazareth, this unexpected figure in our story. You would never have thought it, but Jesus is the Savior, right? He's the one we've been waiting on, right? And he is becoming the same as that servant. He's taking that upon himself, and he will suffer shame and humiliation, pain and suffering. He is the same one, right? It's as if Luke is saying, if you haven't already figured it out yet from everything else he's been doing, from all these amazing things that are happening, He's that servant we've been waiting for. He's the one that can actually redeem Israel. And just like the servant in Isaiah who suffers, who dies, Luke is trying to make the point. He too will be vindicated. He's that servant, right? He too will be liberated. Isaiah 53 ends kind of interestingly, right? There are four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53 is the last one, and it doesn't end with suffering or death. Instead, it's these words. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. After he suffered, after he's died, that's the image immediately before all of this. Isaiah tells us he's dead, the servant. But after all this, he says, he will see the light of life, and he will be satisfied. The servant was dead, but he is alive again. And Luke is saying, that's Jesus of Nazareth. Pay attention. Listen. If you haven't figured it out already, listen to him. Luke is saying, listen to Jesus. Isaiah is saying, listen to the servant. Pay attention to what he's saying, to what he's doing. There's a word for the weary he's trying to speak to you, but you can't hear it because you've become so deaf. Listen to him. You're listening to so many things, right? So many different opinions, so many different ideas are pouring in all the time, and they're all shaping you. They're all forming your identity. But aren't you weary of it? Aren't you, aren't you weary and longing for rest? Isaiah says it, Luke says it, You'll find it in his voice. You have to listen, though. Listen. Pay attention. And I, yeah, I know it, at, at any given moment, that can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Um, I don't know exactly where that, that puts you at in all of this. The reality, though, is there's so much coming in all the time for us. All the time, we find ourselves in this place. Not knowing what exactly we're supposed to do with all of the voices, all the information that's coming in. Who am I going to be? What is my life supposed to look like? And all along, Luke is saying, Isaiah is saying, pay attention to this one. Let this one form your identity. Listen to his words. It doesn't mean you can't have mentors. It doesn't mean you can't listen or, or, or pay attention to people you, you trust, right? 
But we have to start limiting the number of voices. We have to start recognizing at some point it's all just noise. You can't serve two masters. You can't give yourself to everyone. You can't say yes to everything. You can't be loyal to absolutely everything. If you're going to hear his voice, you have to begin to put something else aside. Listen, he says. And so as we come to the table, the, the, the band will come and lead us. I just want to invite you into that mindset. Hear this word for the weary. In whatever way you find yourself feeling weary. I invite you, like, come and, and taste of the one thing that can truly satisfy you. This is, is the word of Isaiah, right? Come all you who are thirsty. At the table, there's life for those who are, are kind of fading under the weight of their circumstances. The truth is, for a very long time, we've been longing for rest. We've been longing for comfort. And we've been taught to comfort ourselves with something else. We've been consoling ourselves with something other than the word he's spoken over us. And despite all of the comfort and the consolation we're seeking, we find ourselves still weary, still worn down. He's saying, come, taste, and see, listen that you might live. For Christ is the obedient son. Christ is the servant who listens. May his listening become our listening. May we learn what it is to listen to the Father's voice from him. May we learn to hear his voice and respond to it in obedience. Amen. Father, we ask in these moments that you prepare our hearts. God, we pray that, that our ears would be opened and that we would truly be listening to you. That above all the other voices, all the other things that are shaping us and influencing us, all the other things that, that we use to, to comfort ourselves and console ourselves with, all the other things we use uh, to try and numb our pain, God, all the other addictions we've filled our lives with, God, we pray you'd help us to see them for what they are. And God, we pray we'd be able to hear your voice with clarity, your direction, the conviction of your spirit in these moments. God, would you speak a word for the weary in these moments? We pray in Jesus' name.